0: That was so good, guys. Thank you. Hey, let's bow, family. I bet everybody came in here worried about something. Might be something big. Might be something small. But we just sang a powerful song about trusting him. Whatever that is on your mind, your heart this morning, take just a minute and say, Lord Jesus, I do trust you. I know I can count on you. Go ahead and do that right now. Christ, the solid rock we stand. We stand that as a family, as individuals. We come to lift you up, Jesus. You said if we'd lift you up, you'd draw men unto you. Counting on that today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being alive and in this church building, already working on our hearts. As we open up your word and look in it this morning, our hearts are ready. Speak to each one of us, Lord. We just love you and trust you and give you all the praise, and it's in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thanks. You can be seated. So we were, uh, the kids and I were kind of walking through the campground a couple weeks ago, and we were looking for, I don't know, alligators or dinosaurs or whatever happened to be out and about. And and we did, to be honest, we saw some deer and some turkeys and some lizards, and we did see some alligators. We did not see any dinosaurs, at least not any live dinosaurs. But we're walking along, and Acton is in a mood, a good mood, because we're going to go see Frozen 2. And so he's walking down the path, and he's just singing the song from Frozen 1. Let it go, let it go. And he's got that goofy look on his face most of you have seen before. And and all of a sudden, uh, Archie stopped to look at a lizard, and there was a minor collision, not much of a collision at all. and, And acting just went off. I mean, the halo came down, the horns went out, he slugged his brother, he kicked his brother, he yelled at his brother, and the very next minute, he's walking down the path again, let it go, let it go, and it was just goofy to watch that, happy song, sad song, happy song, all in just a few seconds, and I got to thinking, man, aren't we like that sometimes, especially during the holidays. You know, we've said before at this church, one of the neat things about this time of year is they're playing our music. You know what I mean? But the problem is, sometimes we hear these Christmas carols and these songs so often that we just sing them, and we don't connect what we believe with them, and we don't connect how we're behaving with them, and that's not good. In fact, God got on his people in Isaiah 29:13 for doing exactly that. He said, they're honoring me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and we don't want to do that, right? Now, as you can imagine, over the years, there's been all kinds of devotions and sermon illustrations and complete sermons written on the Christmas carols. In fact, we've done several of them. Aaron said we might have done this one seven or eight years ago. I don't remember, but we'll have fun with it anyway. But uh, on, during vacation, I was reading through some of the, I don't know, 20-year-old sermons from... Um, Bob Russell, and, and then I got out William Barkley and, and I got some Wearsby, and I thought we'd just have fun the next two or three weeks, and look at uh, two or three of these Christmas carols. I know the kids are doing something in between. And, and the thing about that it, it's, it's like a lot of the Christian music we sing. Some of these songs have got timeless truths, and they're biblically sound. But again, if we're not careful, we sing them, and we don't connect with them. And that's dangerous. We talked about that. You sing something, and you don't mean it. Your heart, man, it does funny things to your heart. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at some of these, and then if we don't mean them, we just won't sing them. You know how that works? Today I want to look at Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's one of my favorites, and uh, a couple quick facts about it. The words of this song were written in 18, uh, 1737 by Charles Wesley, who was a prolific hymn writer. Uh, he was the youngest of 18 kids imagine that? Only 11 of them survived. I don't know how his mom survived. But 18 kids, but she saturated her children with the the knowledge of the Bible and the wisdom of God. In fact, John Wesley, his older brother, you probably remember, founded the Methodist church. Now, Charles did some preaching too, but he was mostly known for writing hymns. He wrote 6,000 hymns. We sing a lot of them today. And like a lot of his hymns, this particular Christmas carol is theologically sound. And anytime you find anything these days theologically sound, you ought to stop and listen to it. Because we're being blown and tossed by every kind of false doctrine these days to make, every, make sure everybody feels good and nobody ever gets their feel bads hurt. And so anytime you find good, fresh doctrine, you ought to look at it. And what a breath of fresh air this timeless Christmas carol is. Okay, the first stanza is going to focus on how the birth of Jesus was announced. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. Now, obviously, uh, Charles Wesley at this point is uh, keying in on Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, which reads like this There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring great news of good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. When this will be assigned to you, you will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. An angel announced it. We were at the outlet mall uh, doing some shopping, and I've told you how I shop at an outlet mall on a bench with coffee or ice cream, talking to whoever's there. And I was talking to this guy, and he gave me his life story, and somehow we got to talking about our wives. And I said, well, I can tell you this much. My wife is an angel. And his face just kind of went blank, and he looked at the ground and he said, Well, you're a lucky man, pal. My wife's still alive. I don't know what he meant by that. Now, the Bible makes it very clear that angels are real. Now, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Isaiah talks about an angel that had six wings and could fly. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that some angels look so much like ordinary people that sometimes people have entertained them and didn't even know they were angels. angels can appear or disappear at will. And and the Bible says an angel suddenly appears to a group of sleepy shepherds tending sheep right out in the middle of nowhere. And what a moment this must have been for the shepherds. But what a terrible moment this must have been for the angels. You know what I mean? I mean, this is the biggest event in the history of history. And they're probably expecting a little more fanfare than this, something a little bigger than this. I mean, uh, I think... You have all made some pretty big deals out of it when your kids were born. I've been there. I made a pretty big deal out of it when my kids were born. And I was thinking, if I was God, and I had all the resources he had at my disposal, and my only son was about to be born, I'd have probably been obnoxious. It probably would have been thunder over Bethlehem or something. Thunder and lightning and meteor showers and a lunar eclipse and maybe an earthquake. Everybody would have known that somebody special had just been born. But God is not me praise God, and his ways are not our ways, praise God. And when you think about it, isn't it just like God to choose to announce the birth of his one and only son to just a group of shepherds out in the middle of nowhere? Now, the impressive part of this announcement is in verse 13 and 14. It says, suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how many angels showed up. We know that that Christ has at least 10,000 at his disposal. We know that from another text. But what we do know is the entire hillside was lit up with a heavenly host singing glory. I mean, what a fantastic thing that must have been. But again, just a handful of people. What a letdown. When I was at Cincinnati Bible College, every year we had this thing called Conference on Evangelism. And students were required to go. So we had to go to workshops and we had to sign in. That's how we took our attendance. Several years after I graduated, Cincinnati asked me to come back and do a workshop at the Conference of Evangelism at the Convention Center downtown Cincinnati on bivocational ministry, because I was a part-time minister working full-time. And I was so honored. I was terrified. I worked on that thing for days. So I showed up to do this workshop, and for the first time in the history of the school, they decided not to make it a requirement for the kids to go. So they didn't. So when I showed up to do my workshop, I did it in a room that held 150 people to six. Angie, I, the guy that was taping it, and one poor soul that came into the wrong one and was too embarrassed to leave. <laughs> what a letdown, man. It was so disappointing. And you got to think maybe at first the angels are a little disappointed with this. I mean, they got to be bummed out. All that rehearsal, all that stuff they went through, and just a handful of shepherds? Maybe they went to the wrong place. But then they got to thinking about it. I bet they were thinking... Isn't that just like our Father? To show these guys how much he loved them, he would do all of this for just a handful. The Bible says God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And it shouldn't surprise us at all that God to have his one and only son born in a stable, and the only ones that have it announced to him is this group of shepherds. This carol encourages us to join the triumph of the skies and with the angel's host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. It is true that Jesus didn't get all the fanfare he deserved when he was born 2,000 years ago. But you and I can change that today because we know what this is all about and we ought to be talking it up. Now, I know we've mentioned this before, uh, but I, I, I don't want to, to not mention this again. I think one of the saddest things to me of this whole story is the town of Bethlehem missed this. I mean, we're talking about a host of angels just outside the town at dark. Can you imagine the noise? and the sound that's going on there. And somehow they missed it. You know, we were at uh, downtown Disney, uh, had, or down at Magic Kingdom at Disney World for Mickey's Christmas party. And uh, they did fireworks, lit the place up. Uh, they spent $40,000 a night just in that park, $50 million a year on fireworks. But it was for thousands of people. This is just for a handful. But it happened just outside of town, and somehow the town missed it. How much distraction do you have to have to miss something like that? How much background noise do you have to have to miss something like that? And, and, you know, uh, they didn't have four or five TVs blaring, iPads, iPhones, uh, you know, the headsets on. Still so much distraction in their life, they missed it. I think there's a sermon in there someplace. We'll get back to that. Luke 2.15 reads, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. What an awesome night and sight that was for the shepherds, the announcement of his birth. The second stanza uh, emphasizes who Jesus really was. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. You know, one of the reasons why this song song is so powerful is it has so many fact-based biblical truth in it. You know, I'm I'm afraid sometimes these days we're all about experience of Christianity, and and if we're not careful, we're all about just feeling it, you know, and, and again, making sure that everybody's happy and 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 nobody gets uh, their feet stepped on when we preach and when we talk about Christianity. But somebody once said, it's facts, faith, and then feeling. There's facts for us to, to see and believe, and then there's faith for us to put into action. And then when all that's done, then there's feeling. And sometimes if you get that mixed up a little bit, you start getting shallow faith. But then you start singing songs like this, and it brings all the facts back again, and you remember how powerful this is. You say, what facts? I'm glad you asked. Here's the first one. It it, it talks about his deity. What's that mean? Well, it means that Jesus is God. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. I mean, look, you and I are not everlasting. We're going to live forever someday, either one place or the other. You know what I'm talking about? But you and I had a definite beginning. Jesus did not. Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. He didn't start at Bethlehem and then go through eternity. He said before Abraham was, I am. And it just points out that Jesus is God. I love that in this song. Number two, this carol teaches the incarnation. Late in time, behold him come. I mean, it seemed like such a long time for these people. We talked about this three weeks ago. It was 430 years of silence. They've been waiting on Messiah. And the Bible says in the fullness of time. In other words, it just the perfect time in history. Jesus wrapped himself in the flesh and showed up in that stable veiled in flesh the Godhead see Christ the Incarnate Deity. That means Jesus is not the adopted Son of God. He's not God's junior partner. Jesus is God in the flesh. John 1, 1-3 reads, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, in the Greek it means one thing at a time, were made through Jesus. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And I love the way the message version reads, The Word became flesh and blood and moved right into the neighborhood. Jesus should never be compared to Muhammad or Buddha or Moses or anyone else. He said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I love this song points that out. Number three, the song teaches the virgin birth. Offspring of the virgin's birth. Mary asked the angel, she said, How can this be? I've never been with a man. An angel said, what's conceived in you is from the Holy Spirit. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, you've got to admit one of the toughest doctrines that takes the most heat is the doctrine of the virgin birth. I mean, it's hard to believe. But it's not hard for this church to believe because we decided years and years ago at South Union Christian Church that if you can believe the first birth of the Bible, you're not going to have any trouble with the rest of it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, if he can do that, he can do anything, right? If he can do that, then a virgin birth is child's play. Sorry about the play on words. By the way, speaking of play on words, did you miss me? You missed my jokes, right? You probably didn't get any good jokes. From so let me give you a play on words. What do you call an alligator, since we saw so many, wearing a vest? That would be an investigator. You don't have to laugh. Just raise your hand if you got it, okay? You know what I mean? Right. Now, Stephen King, how's that ask? So Stephen King was asked one time, if you could interview anybody in history, who would it be? Immediately, he said, Jesus Christ. And he said, you know, the one thing I would ask him is, were you really born of a virgin? Because that would answer history for me, Stephen King said. He doesn't know how right he was. Because, see, every one of us in here have been born. We're born with Adam's sin nature. That's why we struggle so much with sin. Jesus was born supernaturally, which means he had no sin nature, which means he lived a perfect life. And once made perfect, the Bible says, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And that perfection began with Jesus was born offspring of a virgin's womb. You got to love that. Number four, Wesley's Christmas Carol teaches the humanity of Jesus. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Listen, uh, Philippians chapter 2 says even though he saw equality with God, he, he didn't see it something to be grasped, but he gave that up and took on the form of a man. And more than just a man, Jesus took on the form of a servant. Phyllis Harris said her little girl, Tony Marie, came home from Sunday school one Sunday morning. And she said, what did you learn in Sunday school today? She said, I learned that Jesus has doity feet. And so she did some investigating, see what she was talking about. And what she found out was she had learned that nobody ever washed Jesus' feet. Jesus always washed everybody else's feet. So his feet were doity. That little girl was more right than she knows the Bible makes it clear that Jesus didn't come to earth as a pampered monarch. He emptied himself. He got dirty. He had to change his diapers. He had to learn to walk and talk and read. He was dependent on peasant parents, grew up in a tough neighborhood, became breakable and expendable and perishable. And the good news for you and I is that that means nobody will ever be able to look Jesus in the face and say, you have no idea what I'm going through because he's experienced it all. Hebrews 4.15 says we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, we have one who's been tempted in every way and still is without sin. And then he's reconciled us to him. Number five, this carol teaches the bodily resurrection of Jesus. There's a phrase in the song that reads, risen with healing in his wings. When Jesus was buried, his enemies said, remember, he predicted in three days he was going to raise from the dead. So let's guard the tomb so nobody will steal it and then say he rose from the dead. So they put the mightiest soldiers they had, they couldn't keep him in the grave. They struck, were struck like dead men, the Bible says. You know, it's funny, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still trying to oppress Jesus. We have the fight every year to try to keep the nativity scenes off the courthouse lawns, and. Of course, we can't have Christmas carols in public schools anymore. We can't even have Christmas trees, and we can't call it Christmas break. It's, it's holiday break or winter break or something like that. Anything to keep Christ out of the whole thing, which is all about Christ. But isn't it funny? You walk into Walmart or the mall, or you walk into a grocery store or downtown Main Street, Disney World, and you hear, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Nobody's going to keep him down. He's going to continue to show us how much he loves us and what he's done for us. Now the third stanza illustrates what Jesus does for us. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Man, I'm telling you, if anybody brings light to life, it's Jesus. Amen? He said in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. What will have the light of life... You know, the world suggests today that if you follow Jesus, you become unenlightened. That if you become a Christian, especially these days, that you have to commit some kind of intellectual suicide or something because, you know, all of a sudden you've got to start believing in archaic things like creation and the Bible and right and wrong and absolute truth and all those kinds of things. But the question becomes, what is enlightenment? What is intelligence? I mean, really. Is a guy intelligent if he can give you the batting average of everybody in the major league, but he can't tell you who the vice president of the United States is? You know, I call that obsessive, and I know a guy like that. Is a gal enlightened and intelligent if she can tell you every lyric to every Elvis Presley song, but she doesn't know who Charles Dickens is? Is a guy enlightened and intelligent if he can tell you how the stock market works and how to make money knows all the ins and outs, but he can't tell you where John 3.16 is or what it says? Jesus said, what's it, profit and man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Family, this Jesus of ours sheds light on the most vital issues of life. His word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, and he tells us things that really matter. I mean, am I here as a cosmological accident? Am I really a piece of goo in a, in a, in a, and a, went through the zoo and here we are? Or, or am I here by intellectual design? Jesus answers that. He says, in the beginning, God created them both male and female. Am I just another face in a crowd, or do I matter? Jesus answers that. Every hair on your head has been numbered by the Father in heaven. Are there really all kinds of ways to get to heaven, as the world says today? Jesus answered that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. What, what, is it, what am I here for? What's the purpose, really, for life? Jesus tells us, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. He gives us light. Wesley also wrote that he brings uh, life, and boy, he does for sure. He said in John 10.10, I came not to just give you life, but life to the fullest, and man, he does. The world will tell you today that if you become a Christian, you'll be bored and miserable. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Real life is found in him and his family. I mean, nothing is any better than to see Christy Webster take a piece of dog poop off the lawn out there and put it on Craig Jackson's desk and he thinks it's a Tootsie Roll and takes a bite out of it. Remember that? We laughed at that till we were sick. Or to see Eli Mathers chase Christy Webster, you're going to see a pattern Christie Christy Webster, through the church building over there with the dead bird screaming and hollering at her. Or to see Jackie Goff stick her foot and Christy's foot in her mouth. Or to see Lori and I scare Christy until she wets herself. Or to see uh, you, you know Jake and Mark get her so mad she's ready to slap of course, and she never does anything to, to make anybody that. But I'm just telling you, uh, the truth is, I've had more fun and more life and more laugh in the church than any place else in life because there is fun and laughter and joy and personality and a genuine Christian that you're not going to find anywhere else. He's the light. He's the life. And he brings healing, he says, in his wings, which brings us to this. Every week, this. I've told you that for 31 and a half years. I come to church on Sunday for this. In fact, I did a service, I think it was my third year here, in the church building over there. It was on 4th of July weekend, and they had already left for Del Hollow. There were six of us that showed up for church, and I didn't want to waste a great sermon on five people. I pulled a bench up, and we took communion and went to practice. See, you can miss the singing, you can miss the preaching, you can even miss the loving, although that's hard to do on each other, but you can't miss this. That's why we're here, right? Not just to say thank you for showing up 2,000 plus years ago, whatever the exact date is, living that perfect life and dying so that we can live forever. That ought to be enough, but so much more to him than that. He's here today to heal you, to calm you, to remind you on Christ the solid rock we stand. All of the ground is sinking. He's here today. So we're going to take a few minutes as a family, as we do every week, recognize His broken body and His shed blood. I invite you to take your time. We're going to—man, the kids are doing it. So, students are doing so well. They're going to sing at least three songs, I think. You see plenty of time to come up, get on your knees, and just love on Jesus. What a great, what a great Master, Savior, and Friend He is.